Good morning. I'll be uh, reading the last portion of 1 Timothy. So if you uh, want to follow along, this is also going to be the text for our message today. It's uh, 1 Timothy 6, verses 11 through 21. And the Pew Bibles are going to be found on page 1180. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, right, righteousness, godliness, God. Excuse me. Godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ which he will display at the proper time. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in an unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see. To him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides for us with everything to enjoy. They are good to do, they are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. O Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. Avoid the irreverent babble and contradictions of what f is falsely called knowledge, for by professing it, some have served, swerved from the faith. Grace be to you. Heavenly Father, Lord, I just uh, ask that you'd help us to understand what it is that you've put in these words for uh, for our good purpose. And we just uh, ask that you'd help our, our pastor to communicate it well and for us to uh, to receive it. And um, we just thank you, Lord, for this day. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Good morning. Alphas can be dismissed. It's kind of sad for me as we're finishing up our study in 1 Timothy. I, I get to remember and reflect on where we've been over the last six months or so. Uh, if you recall, back in December, our leaders, we had cast some new vision as we considered uh, a church, as we are a church moving into our seventh year of existence. And on the back wall, every time you walk up the stairs or come in the door, you see three phrases of love God, love others, and make disciples. And that is purposeful because that is why we exist. In Matthew chapter 22, Jesus said, to his disciples, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And this is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. And then at the end of his ministry, after he had resurrected from the dead in Matthew chapter 28, 
Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Friends, we exist to love God, love others, and make disciples. And we strive to do that through our values. From Acts 2.42, they devoted themselves, the early church did, to the apostles' teaching, biblical authority, to the fellowship, intentional fellowship, to the breaking of bread, gospel centrality, and the prayers, dependent prayer. And so as we set out onto this new year, their leaders wanted to help us as a church to grow in maturity through investment in each other, through investment in this facility, and also investment into the community in which God has planted us as a church. We started out the new year in Ezra and Nehemiah. And it helped us to prioritize our worship, not to build a building for worship, which they did, and not to build a wall to protect them so that they might worship, which they did. It was for the purpose of worship. And First Timothy has given us a New Testament perspective, where Paul wants Timothy to lead a proper church, a godly people, in the face of intense internal and external Opposition, And today, Paul closes out our time. Today, our main idea is that by the grace of God, through the work of the Son of God, we can be men and women of God. Would you pray with me before you break down that passage? An old Anglican prayer. Father, what we know not, teach us. What we have not, give us. And what we are not, make us. And we pray this in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. So our first point, Timothy, be a man of God. We look at, look at verse 11. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Timothy. Be the opposite of the ungodly, false teachers that are plaguing this church in Ephesus, but be a man of God. Having put these things before the church in chapter 4, verse 6, commanded these things in chapter 4, verse 11, practiced these things, 4.15, taught and urged these things in 6.2. Now, Timothy, flee these things, verse 6.11. With the gospel identity that you have now, Timothy, be a man of God and lead this church as an example. Have the church follow. Go back to God's created order, loving him, loving others, and making disciples. Men are to lead. We've seen that. Based on God's created order, marriage is good and children are a blessing. We've seen that in God's created order. All thoughts and ideas that come about in this letter. God said to be fruitful and multiply, subdue and steward the world around you, but not like the false teachers are saying, for personal gain, but for worship 
of the God who deserves our worship. Genesis 1 to 3, friends, properly understood is the bedrock for confronting false teaching in Ephesus and false teaching that happens in our world today. Timothy, the man of God, is called the four things. They all start with F. To flee, to follow, to fight, and to have faith. We'll look at them briefly. First, he is to flee. He is to run away. He is to get away. Like Joseph, when we saw in the book of Genesis, when he was tempted to go into sexual sin with Potiphar's wife, what did he do? He fled. He left. Even though what would happen to him would incriminate him. He maintained the character of a man of God, even though it led him to prison. And so false teachers, their teaching leads to death. And so we, friends, are to flee from it, to put off our sin we saw last week, to have nothing to do with sin. It's dangerous. It's deadly. Timothy, first, flee these things. But second, follow. We are to turn to Something We are to run away from our sins and we are to run towards holiness. It's not a 90 degree turn. It's a complete 180 degree turn. Turn to righteousness, to your justification in Christ. Pursue your identity in Christ, established by the gospel and faith for steadfastness to faithfulness. With gentleness, pursue, you've probably caught on, some of the fruit of the Spirit. As a gift of the Holy Spirit, we see in Galatians chapter 5, build your muscles, grow in maturity, follow God. So flee, so follow, and third, fight in verse 12. We're at war. These are not new things that Paul has written to this church. Paul wrote a letter already to this church, to Ephesus, and he said this, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And so under God's providential and sovereign hand, this is Satan's world. God has given Satan... Authority, limited authority, but the battle is tense, so we must be ready to stand up, to fight. And this tense here of this verb, to fight his good fight, signifies a constant, continuous struggle. Every day, men and women of God must fight the battle. And this is not a battle within ourselves, as the world would say, it's a battle Sorry, it is a battle within. It's not a battle with them, the world outside. It is a battle within where we fight our sin. And Paul is more concerned with Timothy's heart than with the battle that he is waging against the false teachers. So we are to flee, to follow, to fight, and forth, and probably most importantly, to have faith. Take hold of the promises. Keep or sorry, God keeps his promises. So Timothy, believe them. Don't believe the lies that you're hearing. Jonathan Edwards says we contribute nothing to our salvation other than the sin that made it necessary. So we need to believe the gospel and therefore receive eternal life. Believing is not complacency, it's not doing nothing, but it's a continuous call to perseverance, holding eternal life as the prize called by God. 
hold on to the promises of God. When women of God live lives in light of who God is and what he has done. The false teachers will tempt, they'll cause us to doubt. Their goal is so that we wouldn't persevere. Paul gave this warning as well to the Ephesian church. Go in faithfulness, he says, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, excuse me, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. We see that in Ephesians 4. If you try to flee a wave, you will always lose. Kids know this, right? They're out in the water, they're swimming, and they see a wave coming, and they start swimming against it. And what happens? The wave sucks them back in, as I learned in high school, and a big wave, that can be very painful. You can't control the waves. You will always lose that battle. Wind as well, it blows dust wherever it wants. You can't control the wind or the waves. But we can be faithful. We can trust God's word over and against the false teachers. The word provides life where the false teachers' teaching provides death. And so men and women of God are known by what we are fleeing from, following after, fighting against, and having faith in. It's this gospel doctrine that Timothy has supposed to learn that would create a gospel culture, not only in himself, but also within the church. And it's our confession of Christ we see in verse 12 that provides us that identity in Christ. To be a proper church, friends, it will take effort. But let's be honest, some days are easier than others. Some days we wake up, we're ready to fight the battle, we think we're going to conquer the world. Some days, we don't. Some days, I'm going to read my Bible. Some days, I'm tired. Some days, I want to fight my sin. I will not let this have dominion over me. And other days, whoops, a little slip. Eh, it's not the end of the world. But Jesus died for even those little sins because it's still cosmic treason against a holy God. Jesus told his disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane before he was arrested, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Friends, this side of eternity, the struggle will never end. Men and women of God must keep fighting, must keep fleeing, must keep following and must keep being faithful. Believing doesn't kill the struggle. It, in some sense, it's only the beginning of the real struggle before us. Our enemies don't want us to be faithful to Jesus. Our enemies don't want us to be holy like Jesus. Satan will never give up this side of eternity. Paul wrote another letter to Timothy. Timothy, strategically called Second Timothy. He wrote to the Ephesian church already, which we've seen. In the book of Revelation, some of the same language is used against this Ephesian church. The struggles continue, generation after generation, and here we are some 2,000 years later, and the same struggles are before us. But we need not fear, because Paul makes it clear it doesn't depend on us.
to be a proper church, it will take effort, but a proper church rests on God's effort, not ours. It is through the work of the Son of God that we can be men and women of God. Look at verse 13. I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will display at the proper time. He who was blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. We saw what Paul encouraged Timothy to do four things. Now we see what Jesus has done, and it's as well four things. Four actions of Jesus that will motivate our call to be men and women of God. First, Jesus confessed to Pilate. Pilate's question, if you're familiar with the story of his trial, Pilate asked him, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus confessed, yes, I am. Before Pilate and through the work of the Son, we can follow Jesus' example. Jesus is the example to follow because he kept the commandment. He kept it unstained, free from reproach. Think about this letter and what this letter has called Timothy to lead this church into. And then think of Jesus and what he has done. Paul called Timothy that the church should obey the law. Jesus has obeyed the law. To proper prayer. Jesus is proper praying. Worship. Jesus is the proper shepherd. He has served perfectly. Timothy, be a man of God, but follow Jesus' example. You will stumble, but Jesus will never fail. Trust God, not the false teachers, these foolish men who are peddling earthly gain. Look back and see what Jesus has done through the rearview mirror, but then there's three things. Look forward to what Jesus will do. The final three is that Jesus will return. Jesus will display who he is and Jesus will be glorified. Look forward. Jesus will appear. He will return again and live in light of that. I had a professor in seminary who would always remind us to live as though Jesus is coming back today. But prepare as though he's coming back in a hundred years. You have this tension and this balance of walking the Christian life. He will return. First Thessalonians 5, 6, 5, 6 says, So then let us not sleep, as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. Be ready. He could come at any time, so will we be ready for the return of our King? When the cat's away, the mice will play, right? All parents have seen this. You come home early or you walk into a kid's room and your kids kind of scramble or go run away. Even if they didn't do anything wrong, they're kind of startled. Being ready is not waiting for the warning signs, though, of an approachable king. It's living as though the king is already there in the room with you. The coming king is going to return. And the Bible gives us clear instructions on how to live. And so how's it going? Men and women of God live as though their king is going to return soon. 
Jesus confessed he will return. And third, he will display who he is. Verse 15, he's the sovereign king of kings, above all kings and lord of lords, above all lords. He's literally the king of those who reign as kings and lord of those who rule as lords. Maybe you don't fear when your coworker walks into the room, but when the owner of the company walks in, we all shape up, don't we? And Jesus' first advent, it was in humble circumstances, in a no-name town, to a no-name family, no place to lay his head. At the end of his ministry, he rode into Jerusalem on a donkey, not a war horse. In his death, it was humiliating. He was buried in a common tomb, yet he rose from the dead. He ascended to heaven. He is sitting at the right hand of the Father, ruling and reigning. And this is what Revelation says when he does return, how he will display himself. Revelation 19, this is the Apostle John, says, Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and the one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and by the name by which he is called the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with, each, with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty on his robe and on his thigh. He has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. For God's people, this should lead us to sober living. For those who aren't God's people, this should bring fear and trembling. He will display who he is perfectly at that moment. And our smallness comes into view in light of God's bigness. Timothy's opponents are God's opponents. And Paul says, God is immortal, unapproachable. In Exodus 33:20, God says, you cannot see my face, for no man shall see my face and live. God condescends to make his glory visible to sinful men and women like us while being at the same time the shield to protect them from the full manifestation of who he is as God, lest we would be destroyed by his all-consuming holiness. His holiness is overwhelming, but so is his graciousness. Because of the work past, present, and future of the Son of God, friends, we can be men and women of God. Jesus confessed he will return, he will display, and he will be glorified. Paul can't help back but worship. To him be honor and eternal dominion. It's similar to what we saw in chapter 1, verse 17, where that song we just sang, Immortal and Visible, is based off to the King of Ages, immortal and visible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. 
In Ezra 3, we saw this sort of spontaneous worship happen with the people of God. It says they sang responsively, praising and giving thanks to God. For he is good and his steadfast love endures forever towards Israel. And all the people shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. Because of who Jesus is and what he has done, we can be men and women of God. So we might love God in our worship. We haven't seen Jesus in the flesh. And our belief comes from hearing the gospel, believing and trusting what we can't see over the ridgeline. I doubt any of us, when we went to sleep last night, thought that the sun wouldn't rise, or this evening that it won't set. It happens every day. We believe it's going to happen. Adults, we don't jump out of trees very much because we know that gravity hurts. Kids don't, they jump. Our belief isn't blind. Our faith is rooted in facts. Where Jesus came and lived a perfect life. He died a substitutionary death. He rose from the dead. He ascended to heaven. And what Jesus has done for us is the grounds for our belief moving forward. Friends, we believe the gospel. We say it every Sunday. The good news that God saves sinners through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. The gospel is the work of the Son of God to make it possible for us to be men and women of God. We believe Jesus will return because the Bible says he will. He kept his promises in the past. He will keep his promises for the future. When God says he will save his people by believing the gospel from their sin, friends, he will save us from our sins. He will deliver us from the evil world we live in. He will wipe away every tear from our eyes. He will. And so church, we can be men and women of God because of the work of the Son of God, but not because we try harder. Our work is contingent on His work. The moment that we think it's all dependent on us, we are in danger of putting our hope in things that will fail. When we look in the mirror, that's us. We follow the leadership of false teachers, we'll fail. And again, it's through the work of the Son of God that we could be men and women of God, but it's all a grace of God. Undeserved merit is how Paul finishes. Look at verse 17. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may not take hold of that which is truly life. O Timothy, guard the good deposit entrusted to you, avoid irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. For by professing it, some have were swerved from the faith. Grace be to you. Friends, you might not feel rich, but compared to the rest of the world, every single one of us is very wealthy. Financial wealth is not a sign of holiness or impurity, but how we use our resources tends to show us what is in our hearts. 
which is the ultimate test of our true holiness and our proper love, not only for God, but also our proper love for others. False teachers love the things of this world, but we are to focus on the giver of the gifts, not the gifts themselves. We will see Jesus face to face, and it is worth more than anything this world has to offer, even the loved one you're sitting next to right now. That's a promise that we rest in. Large bank accounts doesn't mean that God values us more than anybody else. No one is more valuable than God, in God's eyes than anybody else because we are all created in God's image with the same dignity, value, and worth. We are not more valuable than our brothers and sisters in Christ who live in the slums of India, who are on death row in China, or going to the gallows in, in Iran. Therefore, Paul says, don't have an elevated opinion of yourself. Don't be haughty. Proverbs 22, 2 says, The rich of the poor meet together. The Lord is the maker of them all. And because of Jesus' work and God's grace towards us, our hope is not in our stuff. So therefore, we can be generous with it all. That's why we as a church, we wanted to give to Nets a quarter of the extra money that we had for the year. Because God has given us so many gifts that we can just give it away to somebody else who will then steward those resources for the sake of the kingdom. Paul's final charge is, remember the giver of our stuff. The one who's been gracious to you. The one who gives you eternal life. Be rich in good works. Be generous. Share and store up treasure in heaven. There are promises for being generous. Not in this life, the life to come. In other words, steward God's grace materially and spiritually. The false teachers wanted poverty for the people in the church and riches for themselves. But Ecclesiastes 5 says, everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil. And this is a gift of God. For he will not much remember the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with joy in his heart. Paul says, be liberal with our stuff. Be generous with it. Be unselfish in our hearts. And idols will constantly tempt us to love things other than God. Idols keep us focused on ourselves. Idols keep us distracted from God. They tempt us to love anything other than God. Idols keep us focused on our kingdom, not making disciples and calling people into God's kingdom. And friends, only God knows our hearts. But how we respond to these could be God's grace showing us what's in our hearts. So we might do what Timothy is called to do. We might flee our sin. We might follow after righteousness. We might fight our good fight. Money's a big deal throughout this letter. But this letter is about God being worshipped by a proper church. So Paul says, be generous. Guard the good deposit. These are financial terms because we're stewards of God's grace. Guard it. Don't squander it. Squander it. Invest in it. Don't hoard it. 
False teachers say they have knowledge, but it's lies. They guard the lies. They disseminate mistruth, where we disseminate truth as we make disciples. And a letter like this could come across as just a bunch of to-dos. Maybe you're like me, and you like to do to-dos. I had a long list yesterday. It was great to have it done by noon. It's easy to see fruit of our accomplishments. But if we look backwards now, going back up the text, it starts with God's grace. With the grace of God, through the work of the Son of God, we can be men and women of God. Our stuff is a physical reminder of God's blessing and His grace towards you to point us to spiritual reminders of God's grace for the salvation accomplished through God's Son. If you remember back when we started this series, just after Easter, Paul's first words to Timothy, if you want to turn back a couple pages, in verse, chapter 1, verse 2, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. And now his last words, grace be with you. Literally, it says, the grace be with you. Grace is the beginning and the end of helping this Ephesian church be a proper church. God's grace through the work of his son on our behalf are the bookends of the Christian life. And Jesus works on our behalf and is the reason why we exist to love God, love others, and make disciples. And apart from Jesus, we can do nothing. Things may turn out like we plan, they may not. But as one pastor said, the church's main responsibility is to guard and proclaim the truths of Scripture. And here Paul instructs Timothy how to guard and protect the Word of God. And so we will follow the word as best we can by the grace of God. We will trust God with the fruit of blessing according to his word with biblical authority, intentional fellowship, gospel centrality, and dependent prayer. It will help us to hear the word. It will help us to see the word as we talked about in the catechism of our ordinances. It'll help us to pray the word together. And by resting in this work, we will be a proper church, worshiping our great God together. By the grace of God, through the work of the Son of God, we can be men and women of God. So let's rest in Him, church. Amen? It's been a joy to study these three books. It's kind of bittersweet. I almost made it without crying. God's Word is so good. Would you pray with me? Paul said to the Colossian church, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Father, it is you who we proclaim. It is you who we teach with all wisdom that we might present everyone here in this room for the folks part of this church to the community in which we live mature in Christ. And God, it's a toil. It's a struggle. But as Paul says, we struggle with your energy. 
God, we struggle with the resurrection power of your risen son, powerfully working within us, not to make much of ourselves, but to make much of you. To you be the glory and the power forever and ever. And all God's people said, amen.